0: You're tuned into to More Living with Jim Brogan, broadcast live from the Brogan Financial Studios at News Talk 98.7, where old-fashioned values, expert knowledge, and genuine understanding come together to give you the retirement straight talk you deserve. Jim's a former National Advisor of the Year recipient and a financial educator, and he's here today to talk about how you can live out the best years of your life. Jim and the Brogan Financial Team have been helping retirees and pre-retirees across the Southeast for over 20 years in their pursuit of financial independence. You can reach them during the week at 865-862-6800. So sit back, relax, and get ready to learn, because More Living with Jim Brogan starts now.
1: Happy Saturday, East Tennessee. Welcome to More Living with Jim Brogan, where it's all about living the best years of your life your way. This is News Talk 98.7 WOKI. We're going to talk about energy today. You know, we use, we've gotten where we're just so dependent on energy for really just about everything. Certainly our homes, our cars becoming more and more that way. Even our food preparation, our water treatment. Where all that energy comes from and where, or where you are in the world and what technologies are used to generate that energy it varies greatly around the world, and clean energy has been always been a hot topic, but it's become really part of the forefront of our conversation. Uh, we've had a lot of national and global discussions. We've seen, of course, these record heat waves in various parts of the world, natural disasters. Uh, we've got nuclear power safety concerns. Uh, we have the constant battle over crude oil in the global market. Today our guest is Dr. Stephen Smith. He is Executive Director of the Southern Alliance for Clean Energy. Dr. Smith has three decades of experience in the clean energy space and currently serves on the State of Tennessee Energy Policy Council And on the Knoxville Mayor's Climate Council, he and the team at South, excuse me, Southern Alliance for Clean Energy work with stakeholders throughout the southeast to help communities take advantage of opportunities to advance a clean energy transition that benefits everyone. Good morning, Dr. Smith. Welcome Welcome. to More Living thank you, Jim great to be here it's great to have you with us it's interesting your um, your your doctorate was actually in veterinary medicine right that's correct and yeah. how the transition to i guess you were always though passionate about energy
2: i I was always uh, concerned for all the critters that we share the planet with and uh, when I was uh, growing up, I began to see that there were a lot of impacts that were happening to um, all the fellow species that we have. And I went on to vet school and completed a degree and practiced for a few years, but I was also already making that transition. And I tell people I sort of expanded to uh, instead of having lots of small patients, I have one big patient, which is planet Earth. Yeah.
1: Well, and your veterinarian degree or doctor was here at University of Tennessee? Absolutely. Graduated in 1992 from a great- So you're orange- Absolutely. Even though you grew up in Kentucky.
2: Blood, well, no, I actually grew up in Tennessee, but I did my undergraduate oh, gotcha. work up in Owensboro at Kentucky
1: Wesleyan. Okay, my apologies. Yes. Now, you're the director for the Southern Alliance for Clean Energy. What is the mission of the organization? Well, the mission of the
2: organization is really to uh, help us have healthy, uh, clean, and equitable communities throughout the Southeast. And what, what I, the best way to look at this in the elevator speech is to say, What Southern Alliance for Clean Energy, we call it SACE, is focused on is how to reduce the environmental footprint of how we produce and consume energy. Because as I looked across the the landscape of all the types of environmental impacts, most of those track back to how we produce and consume energy. And when you look at things like climate change and other things, you look at, uh, you know, the oil drilling, you look at what we saw in the Gulf after the Deepwater Horizon, you look at uh, mountaintop removal, you look at all these types of things that we've seen, air quality issues, all track back to how we produce and consume energy
1: well so when we look at the our dependence on oil and the politics around it all over the world and, and, and here in the united states will we really ever truly get away from from oil do you think
2: oh i i am absolutely confident that that is happening i think the horse has left the barn with the electrification of transportation and so um You know, for a while there, I think it was a little hit or miss, but it is it is accelerating. We are on a disruptive S curve. That is we're now on that accelerating upward part of that uh, S curve. And I think you've seen now all the major automobile manufacturers actually starting to make that transition. Some will make it successfully. Some will not. You'll be surprised at some of the big ones that go under that try to keep a foot both in the internal combustion engine and in the electric, but the ones that are making the full-blown commitment to electric vehicles, they will succeed. And in the not too distant future, you're going to see a radical transformation of. of and I think it. I think it will be the end at the scale, at of least, oil. for the dependence of oil. That's right. That's right. Absolutely. I am
1: unbelievably confident. Probably that that could do a whole show with uh, maybe a, you know just on what the global implications are politically and all the other things but well but
2: but i I think it's it's actually going to be a positive thing for both manufacturing in this country and i think we're seeing a lot of that being onboarded back to this country and i think that uh moving away from a non-renewable source to when you use electricity and you produce it with renewable energy then that becomes a sustainable way of doing and using uh transportation mobility. So I think electrifying everything is where we're going.
1: So let's talk about the EV market a little bit. You know, some people think 10, 15 years from now, there will be some other alternative that comes along that'll be more efficient than EVs. Um, there's been a lot of spec or a lot of discussion of all the things that have to go on to produce the electricity itself. And, and how much are we really saving the environment with EVs? Um, you know, where are we going with the ranges on the vehicle? There's so many things being discussed and whether or not there might be some other kind of an alternative. What what do you think about where we're headed with the EV market specifically?
2: I think there was a period where there was an active debate between things like fuel cells, hydrogen, and electricity. I think electricity has clearly won that for the foreseeable future. Uh, I think there's still ex- research going on, but Hydrogen is a very, very tricky element. It's the smallest element in the periodic table. It's the most difficult to contain. There's a lot of challenges associated with it. I'm not saying that there's not going to be some hydrogen penetration over time, but I think the EV's uh, electrification has clearly consolidated that, and I think all the big money now is tracking that direction. And I think it's proving out to be working. I don't think the range issues are... A lot of people claim to have range anxiety until they actually start driving an electric car that has range, and then they realize... That's a little bit of an overblown concern, and they can actually make it work. And that, the deployment of the charging stations and just the, the ability to charge at your own home is just so much easier. In, in terms
1: of overall, though, electric infrastructure, you know, summers are getting hotter. People are using more electricity to cool their homes. We've got pressures on the grid that have been well-documented in the last several years. If we have, a, as electric vehicles grow... And, and more and more need to be charged, what kind of additional strain does that put on the grid? Where do we need to be going with, with our grid? It's a very
2: good question, but if you really understand how the grid works, the grid has peaks and valleys, and we produce far more energy than we use over a 24-hour period. And what we do is we peak, and then we have valleys. And so what's going to be really important is it's not the not so much the volume of people that is charging, it's when they're charging. And we've got to encourage people to charge during the valley times. So that's where coming home at night, plugging in your car and letting it, setting it up. And you can do this, program most cars now to charge you know, late at night. And when you do that, it actually makes the grid run more efficiently because they don't have to swing the power plants because the power plants are running more consistently across the time. So if everybody goes and plugs in their EVs, At 5.30 in the afternoon on a late hot August afternoon, we have problems. But if people are actually incentivized and people understand how to work with the electric grid, then you're going to find that that
1: that is that is not an issue that we have to worry about at all. We're visiting with Dr. Stephen Smith. He is executive director of the Southern Alliance for Clean Energy. Very, very important topic and extremely relevant with what we're seeing all over the world with these heat waves and and natural disasters. When we come back, we're going to start going through some of the pros and cons of the different alternatives for clean energy and what their ramifications may be. And where is Tennessee in all this? Are we lagging? Are we ahead? Where are we? And and where might we be headed? So stay with us. This is More Living with Jim Brogan, right here on News Talk 98.7 WOKI.
0: Welcome back to News Talk 98.7's Brogan Financial Studios, where Jim Brogan is coming to you live with important news and advice to help you achieve your dream retirement. Get ready to learn and live. Here's your host, Jim Brogan. Electric. Electric. This
1: is More Living here on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. I'm Jim Brogan, and we're visiting today with Dr. Stephen Smith. We're talking about clean energy. He is executive director of the Southern Alliance for Clean Energy. He's He also serves on the State of Tennessee Energy Policy Council. Let's talk about the different types of clean energy, and I've got a chart here of the, the balance of how much alternative energy renewable energy we're using. And I guess first is wind, then hydropower, then solar, biomass, and then a little bit geothermal. Uh, where are we headed? What? Where are the fastest growing areas for uh, clean energy, renewable energy, H- and how fast are we growing in some of these other alternatives? Well, they there is
2: definitely a geographic uh, uh, favoritism. So in the Great Plains. We're kind of like the Saudi Arabia of wind here in the United States. We've got just a phenomenal wind resource from Texas all the way up to the Dakotas.
1: Yeah. And by the way, I just want to mention the, the statistic I has is, is about 20 percent of our energy generation now comes from alter, that comes from alternatives. And you're talking about globally. Yeah. As opposed to
2: renewable energy generates yeah, about 20 yeah, yeah. percent. And but it is about eighty percent of the new generation that's being deployed. So we have the legacy generation that is still functioning, but when you look at the new stuff that is actually being deployed, renewables is the dominant share of that. And so that percentage continues to grow every year rapidly. Okay, so then you're talking about the geographies and the various That's right. So so we you have areas where you have better wind, you have areas where you mm-hmm. have better availability of solar, you have areas where you have better better geothermal. And so these are all like Iceland is very strong on geothermal out west. You've got some very good geothermal, the plains. We have phenomenal wind resources, some of the best in the world. And then, you know, in the in the southwest, in the southeast, we have a phenomenal solar resource. And that solar resource, honestly, is the most widely distributed because every single day, you know, I'm 61 years old. Every I can count on the sun coming up in the east and setting in the west It's the most reliable you know, resource we've got. And so it's spread globally. And so that's why you've seen solar just absolutely catapulting uh, across. You see the amounts that are being deployed across the world. It's, it's, it's phenomenal how, how much, because the price points of solar have come down.
1: Now, solar panels on the solar issue, you know, solar panels on a home certainly can be a great way to harness clean energy, but it can can be very very expensive currently for families. So are there programs that assist in adding solar or other green technologies to our home? Yeah, I've
2: got solar on my home and first put it on in 2009. My my system in my home was the largest residential system in, in the TVA region for a period of time until Cheryl Crow put a 15 KW system. I put a 7 KW system on my house in 2009. She put a 15 KW system on her barn down in Nashville. And, and then it's just grown since then. But but um Initially, TVA had some very good incentive programs that they worked through their local power company. At that time, I was actually, when I would sell the power back to TVA in excess during the day, I would get 12 cents above the retail rate index that would float. And I entered into a 20-year contract with them. The first 10 years, I got that incentive. And in the second 10 year, they would give me the retail rate. That was in place and very popular from roughly 2009 until about 2016. TVA was stepping down the incentives because the price points of solar was coming down and they were getting a plethora of people entering into the market that wanted to do it. Remember, the utilities like to push electrons at you, but when you push electrons back at them, they're not as happy about it. And so TVA ended up backing out of those incentives and discontinued that program Roughly in about the 2018 timeframe. So right now there's very little incentives by the local utilities, both KUB and others and TVA to incentivize you to put solar on your home. But it still is a good investment if you're going to own your home for a long period of time. And so when we did a retrofit on our house, I put additional solar on, but then I drove that solar not back out to the grid into batteries that then I actually pull off so that I get that retail rate where I'm offsetting power from the grid at that time. So that that will pay back over time. If you're going to jump out of your house in three to five years, it's probably not worth it. But if you're going to be in a longer term investment, you can start to take advantage of both having greater reliability because with the batteries and everything, you don't lose power when everybody else does. And then you also can take advantage of incentive rates and other things like that. And
1: you're doing the right thing for the environment. So long-term investment is a good one. Yeah, that's very interesting. And and I would imagine the costs are now starting to come down definitely, exponentially.
2: Definitely coming down. We've seen this. the solar cost curves have just plummeted. And we're now seeing the storage for batteries on that same trajectory of going down. Because with all the electrification that's going on with vehicles battery technology is advancing very rapidly and so you're getting more storage capability and storage as we'll get into when we talk about more of these technologies is absolutely key to the intermittent renewables because it basically makes it
1: reliable and dispatchable when we talk about the batteries what about the controversy of especially in the ev market where we're getting most of our batteries from china and then also the 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 minerals that are needed that are in some cases are rare in order to make those batteries yep yep very good question there's
2: a lot of misinformation about that though because lithium is the primary component iron is the primary component they are the most plentiful elements we have where there's controversies around things like cobalt nickel and some of those and then where you're sourcing those and making sure that the countries that you're sourcing those from there's a lot of attention now being paid by some of the large uh, manufacturers to make sure that they are doing it both in a sustainable and an ethical way. And they're actually trying to back out of those things like cobalt, nickel and other things. And so, w- but when you, when you look at things like lithium, lithium is incredibly plentiful across the planet. Iron, like lithium iron phosphate is one of the popular battery designs and other things like that. Iron, you know, that's the core of the earth. I mean, we've got plenty of it. And so, yes, that is something to be aware of. The mining is something we 've got to be watching, but let 's put that in context when you go and drill oil and you or you mine coal or whatever you 're doing you 're pulling stuff out, you pull that out, you mine, and then you you release it to the environment you 've got to go back and get more of it once we get a steady state amount of the elements and we begin to recycle the batteries then we 're the mining is going to is not going to be as as large as it is now we 've got to get that initial surge in. But the most cost-effective way to get those materials is to go back and mine the used batteries than going and getting it from virgin sources. And so we will hit a place where the mining will actually start to decrease. We're in a rapid growth phase now, but once we get it in the circulation, it's going to be a sustainable way of doing it because we're going to start recycling that because it's going to be so much more cost-effective to pull those materials out. Electric car batteries, once they're used, it's a matter of reconstituting the, the elements. You don't have, you're not burning the elements up, whereas with With fossil fuels, you're burning the elements up and liberating them into
1: the environment, polluting the environment. You can't capture them anymore. So when we talk about the environment... So, and I don't want to get too, too down this rabbit hole, but I do I do think we have to at least discuss it. I don't think, at least in my viewpoint, there's any question that climate change is real, of course. Um, I guess the question is what causes the climate change, because the earth throughout history has gone through heating and cooling periods. There have been a lot of discussion in the, that I've seen in the last week or so about the heat waves in the 1930s. I've, I've seen different things, especially here in Tennessee. Talk From your vantage point, based on the science of it, the link between energy and some of the climate issues issues we're having.
2: Yeah, it is absolutely true that there's been climate variation. What is unprecedented, though, is that humans, because we are now mining carbon that was historically sequestered or locked into the earth in the form of coal and oil, bringing it back to the surface, liberating it into the environment... We have this sunlight and sun energy that radiates down, but at night it's supposed to radiate back into space. When we have these elements, CO2, methane in the atmosphere, it blocks the infrared from getting back to space. And that creates this blanket that covers the earth that keeps it trapped in. So what's happening is on top of the natural variation humans have now created this layer of atmospheric gases that prevent infrared, which is heat from radiating back into space. And that's, what's causing the warming. So that is on top of things like the El Nino that we're seeing this year, which would normally heat things up are now being heated up dramatically more because of this um, atmospheric pollution that we've put in from bringing the carbon out of the ground. That was the earth had sequestered and putting it in. So, you look at the amount of CO2 that is in the atmosphere now and compare it to historic levels, we're in an unprecedented state. We're now at, I think, the latest readings are now 422 parts per billion in the, in the atmosphere, whereas um, it, it should have been, historically it's been between 280 and 300 dramatic and th- and then you look at the exponential curve. That so is it's
1: going up 60-70 percent.
2: Absolutely and so that is on top of the climatic variation that we normally experience and that's why you're seeing these unprecedented heat waves because you have the variation but then it's turbocharged by all this atmospheric gas that's not letting the heat radiate
1: back to space. Now the current administration in Washington has added in many clean energy initiatives uh, to try to get the country to a point of being less dependent on oil and to reduce our carbon footprint and environmental impact is the current trajectory Dr Smith of the US policy and other global policy going to be enough to combat our dependence on non-renewable sources of energy no but it is any very what
2: happened approximately this time last year with the passage of the inflation reduction act which is the the IRA is the substantial investment in clean energy that we've many of us have been waiting for for a long time that gets us significantly down the path and it is an important step it is onboarding a lot of the technology like you mentioned batteries in china we're bringing that manufacturing back to the united states through that act because you will not get the tax incentives if you if the manufacturer is not doing it in north america or in a country that is in the united states friendly to the united states which china is not so there's a lot of incentives Joe Manchin was very passionate about that and got that in the act and other things like that. There's a lot of incentives that are bringing that technology back in. But is it enough to make the full transition? No. Is it going to get us significantly down the road for the next 10 years? Absolutely. And it is about it is a significant amount of investment that has to be assimilated very quickly. And so we're we're all working very hard to see that happen.
1: So when we look at limits and restrictions from the EPA. You know, they put restrictions on particular industries. How how does it really impact the air we when our when the air we breathe is carried all over the world, the air in China is carried over here, and it all kind of gets meshed together. How does that really have an impact?
2: Well, each country has got to do its share. And and if you look at the European countries in the United States, the argument that a lot of the developed world is making is That there's a total climate budget that the planet can handle and that the United States has, because we have been using these resources aggressively, the Europeans have been using them aggressively, some other countries, we have put a disproportionate amount of the carbon that is in the atmosphere, already in the atmosphere. So a number of them are saying it's unfair for us to start saying you can't do it when we've already filled up the air. And they're trying to go through a development stage, but that's not, we ultimately, we've got to all work together and we've got to have a balanced approach to this. And so we've got to find the right balance between allowing some of the developed countries to catch up, but also, you know, limiting overall emissions because there is, you know, I I like to say mother nature bats last and there is a physical limit to what we can put in
1: the atmosphere before we destroy the planet that we're on. And we are rapidly approaching that limit. We're visiting with Dr. Stephen Smith. He's with the Southern Alliance for Clean Energy. When we come back, we'll have more about where Tennessee is on the landscape and where we're headed and initiatives even recently from our governor. We'll also have our dollars and cents segment, reducing taxes on retirement income specifically. So stay with us. This is More Living with Jim Brogan, only on News Talk 98.7 WOKI.
0: Welcome back to News Talk 98.7's Brogan Financial Studios, where Jim Brogan is coming to you live with important news and advice to help you achieve your dream retirement. Get ready to learn and live. Here's your host, Jim Brogan.
1: Thanks for tuning in this week to More Living with Jim Brogan, where it's all about living the best years of your life your way. You're listening to News Talk 98.7 WOKI. We're with you every Saturday from 9 to 10 a.m. And again, from 3 to 4 p.m. You can also check us out online. Go to BroganFinancial.com and click on radio. You can also download our podcasts on on your favorite podcast app. Uh, Type in More Living with Jim Brogan. Today, we're visiting with Dr. Stephen Smith and talking about clean energy initiatives and their importance moving forward. Before we get back to Dr. Smith, however, it is time for Dollars and Cents
0: want to be sure you are getting the most out of your retirement for all the years of your retirement that's the primary goal of more living with jim brogan and our dollars and cents segment where we provide you with an important financial tip that will help positively impact the quality of your life in retirement and now here's jim with this week's dollars and cents tip
1: Let's talk about reducing income taxes, specifically in retirement. You've heard me say over the years, most people, you usually have more control of your income taxes when you first retire in that sweet spot, I like to call it, between retirement age and age 73 or 75, when you have to start taking taxable distributions from your retirement account. You've got an enormous amount of control of your income taxes. And the decisions you make regarding income and investments can have a profound impact on your tax bill and give you tremendous opportunities to do things like Roth conversion in a very low tax bracket, things like selling off stocks that have heavy long term capital gains without incurring any capital gains tax. Many can do that and actually buy the stock back if you want to continue to own it, uh, but not have to pay the tax on the appreciation. So there are just so many things you can do, but you've got to be aware of where you're taxed and the decisions you make and how that affects the tax return. So one, of course, is where do you draw your income from? You know, if you're getting dividend income or you're getting qualified dividends with that, which have preferential tax treatment, if you're drawing from your IRA, 100% taxable as ordinary income, at least most of it, if not all of it is. Um, What about your timing of Social Security election? You know, one benefit of delaying your Social Security election is tax planning, because the more numbers show up on the front of your tax return, the more it's going to impact other things on the tax return. Things like how much tax do you pay on your Social Security income? You know, many people don't pay any tax on their Social Security income. Uh, At worst, you pay tax on 85% of your Social Security income. But all these decisions are interrelated. Your overall income can affect the amount of premium you pay for Medicare. And so then how tax-efficient are your investments that are not in retirement accounts? You know, if I have a mutual fund... Mutual funds, as a rule, are not very tax efficient, so they have to pay capital gain distributions at the end of every year. They buy and sell a lot of stocks if they're a stock fund, and at the end of the year, they have to pay out the net gains from all those sales and tax that to you. Now, you may have it reinvested, but it has an income tax burden. Now, that doesn't mean don't use mutual funds. It just means be aware of tax implications of how you invest your money How you draw income, how you utilize opportunities like Roth conversion, and how you select Social Security. They are all interrelated.
0: That's our Dollars and Cents segment for this week. You can find this week's Dollars and Cents segment and others by visiting BroganFinancial.com.
1: My next class is at Pellissippi State uh, at their Hardin Valley campus. It is on August the 29th. It is a one-night, two-hour class, Income Planning in Retirement. So specifically for two hours, we talk about the opportunities and challenges of income planning. I think the income plan in retirement is maybe the most overlooked area in financial planning, especially as you get closer to retirement, because the plan that gets you to retirement is usually not going to be the plan that gets you to retirement, because instead of saving and investing money, you are now withdrawing and spending the money, and it puts a different stress on your nest egg. Again, that's on... uh August the twenty at Pelissippi State Hardin Valley six thirty p.m. You can go to Pelissippi Retirement dot com for more information. Again, that's Pelissippi dot com. We're visiting this morning with Doctor Stephen Smith and talking about clean energy. He is on the Knoxville Mayor's Climate Council, in addition to being the Executive Director for the Southern Alliance for Clean Energy, and. Let's talk about where Tennessee is. According to your organization, Dr. Smith, the state of Tennessee lags behind other southeastern states in the investments in energy efficiency and renewable energy that would help ease high energy burdens seen across the volunteer state. Why do we lag? Why is that? Well, it's it's basically choices that the
2: Tennessee Valley Authority has made over the years about where to prioritize. And uh, TVA keeps us very focused on having low rates, which has advantages, but people need to understand they actually don't pay a rate, they pay a bill. And that bill is the rate times consumption equals what you write the check for each month. And while we have low rates, we have very high consumption. And one of the ways that we have been encouraging what are called energy burdens, because there's a lot of citizens that are struggling under high uh, utility bills, is emphasizing you can't just focus on the rates, you've got to focus on helping people be more efficient and have energy efficient programs. So that's one of the critiques that we've done. And then the, the the solar and renewable energy investments have just been choices that have been made at the top of TVA about where to prioritize.
1: Yeah, and TVA. That's interesting, TVA. Course, they supply so much. What's the percentage of energy in the state of Tennessee is per- supplied by TVA? About 99%. I thought, because I there's only
2: a very small portion up in Kingsport that is supplied by any other provider. Yeah, I was thinking
1: it was 98 or 99. Now, one of the things that's been discussed with clean energy, my brother lives in Texas, Abilene, Texas. And, you know, a couple of winters ago, they had all those blackouts that lasted for several days. And there was a lot of discussion at the time that all that emphasis on renewable energy just wasn't enough. There wasn't enough there to be able to support what was needed. And TVA even made a comment at the time about we've never had an issue like that. And then, of course, this past winter we had some rolling blackouts. Nothing to the extent of what Texas had. So how would you respond to the criticism of the efficiency of clean energy and ability to truly support our needs? Well,
2: Winter Storm Elliott that took place in Texas, once it was finally fully reviewed by the Public Service Commission in in Texas and others, identified that while there were some um, issues with renewables, a lot of what happened there was the um, natural gas pumping stations and other things that were moving the the fuel around and then choices that were being done. But Texas is unique because their whole grid is isolated through a thing called ERCOT that is – basically a new grid whereas we have the eastern interconnect the western interconnect and then you have texas and what what was happening was that texas during that time they had a number of uh, malfunctions that happened Some with renewables, but actually when they went back and looked at it, a lot of it was with the actual uh, fossil gas infrastructure that was providing. And then there was also the fact that they weren't interconnected with the other grid systems in a way to move power to Texas at the level that they needed because um, the way Texas sort of operates. And so it was a combination of things. I think initially there was a number of people that sort of jumped up and down about it being all because of renewables. But in retrospect, when that was actually done,
1: reviewed, that was not the truth at all. Well, that's interesting because I would not heard that perspective. You know, there was a lot of attention at the time. My brother commented on it. TVA had the, you know, the comment. Um, so that's good to have that recent information. Yeah, And I encourage people
2: to go back and look at it now that they've done a full retrospective of what exactly happened.
1: Let's talk about nuclear energy. East Tennessee, in particularly, in particular, ORNL, of course, has great research happening when it comes to alternative energy. Now that includes wind, solar, and nuclear energy. Now, just a, just a couple of months ago, Governor Lee announced the Clean Energy Advisory Council. What is the role of the council, and what are they hoping to achieve? Well, what what's going on is that um, TVA
2: has started the discussion about placing a very big bet on what are called small modular reactors. And this is an attempt by the nuclear power industry to redesign uh, nuclear power reactors so that they're more responsive to the, um, the needs of the electric utility grid in the present time we are moving away from very large central station power plants which is historically a, a nuclear power plant can produce over a thousand megawatts of power it's a very large all that's tied to one shaft they don't
1: now t- give them. us an idea of how much power that is
2: that well that's probably enough for you know um, a megawatt is probably enough for over a thousand homes and so when you've got a thousand megawatts okay. you're, you know you're you you ramp it up from there it depends you know, there's variation in, in in individual home use, but it's it's a lot. Uh, it's a very very large. These smaller modular reactors, instead of being say a thousand or twelve hundred megawatts, they're going to be more like two or three hundred megawatts, and so they're going to be smaller. They they've got some land. Uh, TVA has 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 worked with the federal government to get some land out in Oak Ridge where the where. Back in the day, they were going to build what was called the Clinch River Breeder Reactor. And TVA has got the state of Tennessee now all spun up on wanting to invest in this technology. We're a little skeptical. One, there's no existing small modular reactor that you can point to that's operational. They don't have any identified price points for these. TVA is on the verge of being serial um, number number one of this technology, which I think puts a lot of us in the region at risk because we haven't seen the technology demonstrated at this scale. And, um, but they have convinced the the governor and, and the folks out at Oak Ridge are very excited about it. And so there's a, there's a big push to do this. Um, we have, we have advised caution. Um, we do not believe that the technology is mature yet. We do not, we cannot identify a price point to know whether it's going to be in the money to where it's cost effective And there's a lot of risk when you take on that early technology. And we've seen with TVA in the past, remember TVA at one point was going to build 17 of the very large nuclear power plants. They completely overstepped. They had to back away from nine of them, 10 of them. And now they only have, I guess they have um, seven operational now out of that uh, 17 that they were going to build. And they they ran up a 20 plus billion dollar debt. Uh, in the process of doing that. So we've been down this road before. And so we're advising caution and not to develop amnesia
1: and forget what this region went through once before. Yeah. And I see that uh, in the 2324 budget, the Tennessee General Assembly's created a $50 million nuclear fund. So that that, and that's but that's we're
2: we're talking about sort of multi-billion dollar investment. So that's a small investment by the state much of the risk, TVA is trying to shift a lot of the risk onto the federal government and get federal taxpayers to, to, so they're pulling down money from some of these programs that have passed to try to manage some of that risk for the first reactor. But Jeff who who is the CEO of TV, TVA, is, is very bullish on this and is saying that if we can just get one up, then the prices are going to magically drop to where we can produce a lot more of them. In theory, that might work, But again, it's very early. Nuclear power has not had that track record. We're seeing a big financial disaster down in Georgia with uh, Plant Vogel, that Southern company is building. It is now 10 years behind schedule and about 15 billion more dollars over budget. And it's it's still not up and running. uh, South Carolina tried to build one, had a major meltdown there, a financial meltdown where they just, you know, didn't get it done and they had to walk away from it. So, I think we need a go-slow approach to this technology because it really hasn't been able to perform on budget and on schedule.
1: Well, and then, of course, you know, you hear different sides and, you know, many scientists. I mean, I talked to a bunch of them that are at at ORNL. You know, they believe in the clean, you know, the clean nature of nuclear energy. Uh, And then, of course, some are so scared of the idea of what could go wrong. Uh, Yeah, yeah, our, our
2: critique is, look, I... You know, I don't, I'm not nuclear phobic in the sense that I'm scared. We use nuclear medicine and veterinary medicine all the time. I understand the risk and the benefits of it. I think, though, I think with with the seriousness of climate change, we've got to look at all technologies that don't produce carbon emissions. And nuclear is one of them. We've got to put them all on the table. We've got to line them all up. And then we've got to say, what can we do the fastest and the most cost efficient? And And if nukes can get in the front of that line and make that happen, that's great. Right now, they can't. They're not coming in on budget and on schedule, and and they're not able to be built fast enough to what we need. And so I just think that putting a lot of focus on that, yes, let's keep researching it, but let's don't
1: get so far over our skis where we commit the region to something where we have issues. Yeah, I think that's a good phrase that we don't want to get over our skis. We're visiting with Dr. Stephen Smith. When we come back, we'll talk about some of the economic impacts of the growth of the, of the alternative energy space. So stay with us. This is More Living with Jim Brogan here on News Talk 98.7 WOKI.
0: Welcome back to News Talk 987's Brogan Financial Studios, where Jim Brogan is coming to you live with important news and advice to help you achieve your dream retirement. Get ready to learn and live. Here's your host, Jim Brogan
1: tuning in to More Living here on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. Check us out online, BroganFinancial.com. You can find out all of our upcoming classes at the University of Tennessee in Pellissippi State. One and two night adult education classes. Go to BroganFinancial.com and click on classes. Today we're talking about clean energy and visiting with Dr. Stephen Smith. Dr. Smith, according to Allied Market Research, the global renewable energy market in twenty twenty was valued at just under nine hundred billion with a B and is expected to reach right at two trillion by twenty thirty. Talk about the impact on the economy that renewable energy projects can have and the jobs that can be created globally. Yeah, that's
2: that, that's a great point. And we're seeing an unprecedented as as we make the transition to clean energy, there are a a wealth of jobs that are materializing across the board. And the great news is that here in the southeast, we're actually capturing a number of those because we're seeing a number of uh, battery manufacturing being located here. Ford just announced a huge uh, facility for building their electric uh, F-150 pickup truck, the Lightning, in West Tennessee. Uh, We've seen a a lithium uh, mining company that has a big project set up in East Tennessee down near Cleveland and Athens, Tennessee. And, and we're seeing across the Southeast, because we our work, SACE, we do work through Tennessee, North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia, and Florida. We're seeing a lot of this money flow into the Southeast, a lot of good paying jobs. And we're bringing, again, we're bringing that technology back into the United States, which is really important because it gives us a chance to sort of do a redo where we let some of the stuff get offshore. We're bringing it back and we're generating stuff
1: here at home. Let, let's talk about the, you mentioned the inflation reduction act a little bit earlier talk a little bit about some of the incentives that that provides for either direct investment for consumers uh, to have dollars or tax incentives yeah and this is this is really really an important part that everybody
2: needs to be paying to there's 369 billion dollars that were as part of the inflation reduction act and a very significant portion of that is actually for tax incentives to encourage people to make the investments in their homes and in their choices of automobiles. So let's just talk about electric cars. Right now, if you get a an electric car, you can get up to $7,500 in an investment tax credit back
1: as long as your total income, if you're a married couple, is not over 300 Yeah. And I'll just mention a tax credit is dollar for dollar. That means your tax bill goes down $7,500. It's not a deduction. It's a credit. It's a credit. And, and then Uniquely is
2: that even for used electric vehicles now, there is a $4,000 tax credit that is available. So those those are in play right now starting January of this year. And I encourage you to talk to your tax advisor. We're not advising you individually, but we do encourage you to really learn and understand this. The other big part of this is there's a lot of money for homeowners that is flowing in to people being able to do investments in their home. So if you want to put solar, if you want to put electric batteries Storage in your home, you get up to 30% investment tax credit. If you basically are doing retrofits to your home, you want to make it more energy efficient, energy efficient windows, you're looking at energy efficient appliances. There are programs now where you can actually get um, tax. If you have tax liability, you can get tax uh, reductions based on that. Now. A program that will be starting early next year, and we encourage people to pay attention to this, is the state of Tennessee is receiving money that they will then be able to offer in direct rebates to people who make energy efficiency investments in their home. That program will be direct cash. And then the final thing to pay attention to is both TVA and KUB have a program now they can do up to 10000 thousand dollars of direct free home investments that money will flow to your home if you're a low income customer you can contact kub It's called the the tva uplift program that kub is administering and you can get up to ten thousand dollars of investments to make your home more comfortable energy efficient save you money and save the environment dr smith how can people find out more about your organization we are all over the web at cleanenergy.org clean energy all one word, dot we're on all the social media things and we also um, people can follow me on uh, Twitter or what they call X now I guess you know at SAS <laughs> underscore clean energy and uh, you know we're we're active in social media but Lots of these programs I just described, if you follow us on our website at you'll be we'll be put, putting out more information about how to take advantage of those.
1: That's cleanenergy.org. Dr. Smith, thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule. This has been great information. Well, thank you for having me on. Absolutely. That's Dr. Stephen Smith. He is Executive Director of the Southern Alliance for Clean Energy. Today we've discussed environment because a greater environment, Creates more living so you can live the best years of your life your way. Thank you to Chris for engineering the show. Thank you to Jill for helping produce the show. Until next week, have a blessed day. This is More Living with Jim Brogan, right here on News Talk ninety-eight seven W O K I.